You're listening to There's a Better Way, smart talk on healthcare and technology. If you're up for energizing and story-driven conversations with national healthcare leaders driving industry innovation across the country, then you are in the right place. I am so excited to welcome our guest today, Dr. Neela Jessel, the Chief Medical Officer of Athena Health. Dr. Jessel is a board-certified clinical informaticist and a pediatrician with a passion for improving healthcare delivery and patient outcomes through technology. A self-described EHR cheerleader, she became interested in clinical informatics to bring the revolutionary potential of health information technology to pediatrics, a specialty where its adoption has lagged. In this episode, we'll talk with Dr. Jessel about her childhood in Germany and her decision to go into medicine. In fact, Dr. Jessel actually has two medical licenses, one to practice in Germany and one to practice in the United States. We'll hear why she believes the solution to clinician burnout actually may be more technology. Quite the provocative statement. For Dr. Jessel, the goal has always been to use technology to allow her and the clinicians she supports to practice old-fashioned medicine in a high-tech setting. I can't wait to hear more. Welcome, Dr. Jessel. It's so great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Why don't you start by just telling me a little bit about yourself. Was healthcare always on your mind in your career? Pretty much, yes. I, I think I've wanted to uh, be in healthcare since I was about three years old. I actually have a picture of myself from that age uh, where I am treating all my baby dolls and I'm dressed up like a nurse with a little white apron and a little white nursing cap. <laughs> as far back as I can remember, I've always wanted to be a mother baby nurse. Oh, that's a great story. So at three years old, you are already you already knew, and that's um that's a rarity. Now, you grew up in Germany, right? So what was that like? Yeah, so I, I grew up in Germany through my early 20s, and then I emigrated uh, to the United States after I finished medical school. Um, it, it was nice. We, we grew up in a mountainous region of Germany, so uh, lots of outdoor activities, swimming in mountain lakes, cross-country skiing, hiking, blueberry picking. I had a, I had a pretty great childhood until about seven or eight, and then we moved to Hamburg, which is a pretty large city in the north of Germany. And that's where I spent my uh, late childhood and, and early teens. And did you earn your medical degree in Germany? I did. Yep. I went to medical school in Germany and I uh, completed an internship in Germany, actually in surgery um, and cardiology, because I wanted to become either a surgeon or an interventional cardiologist. But then uh, we ended up relocating to the United States initially um, on a four-year expatriate contract for my um, husband. After two years, that turned into a lifelong assignment. <laughs> so I actually ended up uh, redoing all my exams in the U.S., uh, certifying with the Educational Commission for Foreign Medical Graduates, and then entering a residency in the United States. So I have uh, two licenses, one for Germany and one for the U.S. Oh, my goodness. Have you actually practiced in both countries? I have not practiced in Germany in over 20 years. So only the extent uh, that I practiced during my uh, medical school time and my internship. 
So then you've spent most of your career practicing in the U.S. as a pediatrician. What were some of those experiences like? Yes. So um, interesting enough, as I, as I mentioned, I um, did not originally intend to become a pediatrician. I actually had my heart set on becoming an interventional cardiologist uh, or a surgeon. But after we um, emigrated to the U.S., I applied to all kinds of different residencies and ended up in pediatrics, which which is actually funny because I originally wanted to be a mother-baby nurse. So you would think the natural conclusion would have been to become a pediatrician. But for whatever reason, that was never really on my horizon originally. But uh, I did end up really enjoying the residency and um, I love treating children and treating the families of those children. So it worked out really well at the end for the first several years of uh, my career, um, electronic health records on the ambulatory side and in private practice were still emerging. Many of us were still on paper. We did have electronic health records in the hospital already. So I worked for several years after I finished my residency. I worked as a hospitalist and large for large and small healthcare systems. And we did use electronic health records on the hospital side. In private practice, much of private practice was still on paper, which um, you know has its advantages. But I, I personally was looking forward to the introduction of electronic health records um, in private practice because I felt there were many advantages to electronic health records, even when I had to use them on the hospital side. I still remember those days. I used to, at the end of my day, I used to have a, a stack of charts uh, from here to the ceiling um, that I would often carry home with me to finish my notes because there were only two choices back then. You could either stay in the office for a couple of hours after the end of your day and finish your documentation or you could lug all those charts home and then bring them back the next day um, to finish your notes. So transitioning to electronic health records and having the ability to to log on to the system from from anywhere to not just finish your charts, but also to look up medical information on a patient was hugely beneficial in my mind. I I remember um, many weekends when I was on call, uh, when I would actually drive to the office to to pull a chart and look up the history after I got a phone call to to be better informed so I could make an educated decision regarding that patient's care. <laughs> Is there an experience you had as a pediatrician that really taught you about the needs for information sharing? Yes. So um, as a pediatrician, um, we often take care of children with a complex medical condition. So I can still remember my first year or two after joining a private practice, after having worked in the hospital, I took care of a baby um, that was newly adopted uh, by their adoptive family. And unfortunately, within a couple of months, we diagnosed that baby was a very complex chronic medical problem that subsequently required lots of care by lots of different specialists, many hospital admission, many ER visits. And it was a very complex case. And back at that time, it was very challenging to exchange information with other physicians who were partaking in the care of this baby and, and get you know access to all that information to 
be able to coordinate the care appropriately. The parents at that time had to carry around a large binder with all the relevant information. That binder, they would take it from visit to visit with every new physician. They would take it to every ER admission so they would not have to retell the entire story and they would be able to produce the relevant information. Because again, remember back then, it was everything was on paper. So it was very hard for providers who had never seen this child with the very complex condition to piece all the pieces of the puzzle together. That today in the world of electronic medical records is much, much simpler because today it is very easy to get access to other providers' information, the electronic medical records exchange information, and parents also have the ability to download their child's health information. They can access it in the patient portal, they can download it to a health app. There's lots of different ways today to have portable health information that doesn't necessitate lugging around a big binder with information. At first, when you started using the electronic health record, I don't think you really liked it, right? That is correct, because after we implemented that particular system in my uh, group practice, I I became very frustrated. I was super excited about the implementation, but then the reality was somewhat lacking, shall we say. It was a very clunky system. I felt that it was uh, making me work harder, not smarter. It was really working against me. Lots of unnecessary clicks. I spent, you know, untold hours uh, trying to piece my documentation together and, and my colleagues were similarly frustrated. So I kept thinking there's got to be a better way to um, make this better and, and make it work better for us as, as physicians, because I could definitely see the benefits. Just the execution was not what I thought it should be. So I ultimately became um, so frustrated that I actually left the group and opened my own practice and implemented my own electronic medical record system was the goal of of utilizing technology to allow me to practice old-fashioned medicine in in a high-tech setting. So my goal was to really leverage the technology and make it my friend to automate tasks as much as possible, automate all the administrative tasks, um, utilize every single facet that I could of the technology so that I personally could spend more time with my patients rather than less. So now you're chief medical officer at Athena Health. How do you bring that all together, the passion for healthcare technology and innovation now into Athena Health? Yes, uh, that's a that's a great question. So obviously, as you can tell, I'm I'm really passionate about making technology work for providers, um, staff, and patients for all three because um, all three are important in healthcare, um, and and they all have to work together. So um, at Athena Health. Um, I bring my uh, expertise as a physician with electronic health technology and also um, my expertise as a clinical IT administrator that I have you know, created over many years working for several large organizations um, where I was responsible for optimizing the electronic health record and other t- provider-facing technology. I bring that to the table and I collaborate with our product development team um, and really try to bring the clinical voice and the clinical point of view to the table um, to influence the development of our software in such a way that it best serves clinicians' needs. So let's move on to something I know you're keen to address, and it's been a, a thread throughout your conversation so far, clinician burnout. It's real, it's growing. No clinician, as you've written, expects to spend their pajama time 
on basic administrative tasks, but that's often the case. You've also said the solution to clinician burnout may actually be more technology. Can you explain that? Yes, I, I realize that might be a bit of a <laughs> controversial, <laughs> contrarian statement. Um, but as we talked about earlier, I think arguably EHR technology has brought many positive things to the table, right? And I mentioned a few of those, like the easier accessibility to patient information from really anywhere. Right now I can finish my chart from my daughter's soccer field at night if I so desire. Um, I no longer have to lug charts home. Uh, parents have easy access to their health information. So better legibility, lots of advantages. But unfortunately, the introduction of EHR, electronic health record technology, has also dramatically increased the administrative burden for physicians. Why has that happened? I, I, for me personally, I, I can identify a few different reasons. For once, electronic health records have really sharpened the focus on provider documentation uh, because now it is much easier to obtain that documentation, right? In the old uh, paper days, it was very hard to audit a provider's chart. You actually had to have them copy the chart, fax it over or mail it, right? Today with electronic health records, payer can easily request information. Um, it's very easy to audit the chart. As a result, providers today have much higher documentation requirements than in the old days. I, I can still remember in, in paper charts, many times it was providers would simply check off, let's say they diagnosed an ear infection, they would simply check off the box abnormal for the ear, and then the assessment would be LOM, left otitis media, and the treatment would be amoxil. And, and that would indicate to anybody that you diagnosed the patient with a left ear infection and prescribed them amoxicillin as an antibiotic. Today, that same note in electronic medical record would probably be about 10 pages. Um, because the documentation requirements have increased, um, it's much easier to pull forward previous information. And so that has led to significant note bloat um, and increased time spent documenting visits. But it, but it has also increased the time now that we spend reviewing notes from other providers, because rather than getting a succinct one-page note like we used to, we now get 10 pages of mostly fluff because electronic health records pull in everything under the sun into the note in, in many cases. The second thing that I think has contributed to the increased um, administrative burden is the ever-evolving payment and regulatory requirements who have evolved um, in parallel to electronic health record technology. I think many of them were triggered by electronic health record technology because they could not have evolved without us moving into the electronic world. However, those regulatory and payment requirements have, have just multiplied over the last couple of years. And, and with them has come the need to capture lots of additional data. And in today's legacy EHR technology, many times that data has to be captured in multiple redundant places and duplicate and triplicate was in the electronic medical record. And, and that has um, dramatically increased administrative burden for both providers and clinical staff. The, the third problem that I can think of is that the improved access to information has created a new problem in the form of information overload. So provider these days spend significant time trying to manage information and distill it into exactly what is necessary to make decisions for the patients um, entrusted to their care. So can you give an example 
for our audience of the kinds of payment and regulatory requirement that add data requirements? What is the data requirement that's added? So many of the new um, payment models uh, measure quality of care. So they don't pay providers strictly for services provided, but they pay providers for high quality care provided and uh, provided. And of course, that quality needs to be measured, right? And in order to measure that quality, providers today have to satisfy what I'm going to broadly call quality measures. So they have to document, for example, that they um, advise a certain number of patients to obtain colonoscopy screenings, that they performed appropriate diagnostic testing for patients with diabetes, for example, that they performed appropriate evaluations for patients with uh, heart conditions. So there's all kinds of different uh, quality programs that measure providers' performance in these areas. And, and today, many electronic health records have not really gotten to the point yet where they automatically capture all those data points, but they require, they rely on providers to enter this information in what we call quality measures, enter that the patient did have uh, a blood test to screen for diabetes, that the patient had a colonoscopy. So capturing that data in the appropriate places today consumes many, many, many hours, not just for providers, but also for clinical staff. Um, I read um, a study a while ago that um, the average uh, primary care provider and their staff spend, I think it was a shocking, I forget the exact number, but somewhere around 758.2 hours per year documenting quality requirements. So, and uh, that that was a, a pretty shocking number. Dr. Jessel, you talk about curating information for providers and the need to curate that information. Can you put more context around that? What do you mean by curating information for providers? Yes, so today, like I said earlier, access to information is, is not nearly as big a problem anymore as it used to be. It, it still hasn't been 100% solved. Um, we, we talk a lot about interoperability, which basically means the ability for electronic systems to freely exchange information. You, you would think that's easy, but it's actually not as easy as it sounds because there, there's many different electronic medical record and electronic health record systems on the market, and they don't all speak the same language, interestingly enough. They should but they don't. So it is not as easy to exchange information in electronic form between different systems as one would think. However, it is significantly easier than it has been back when we were on paper. And it's also getting easier every year as uh, new standards evolve and um, systems try to adapt you know, universal standards that allow them to exchange information um, in an easier fashion. So with that has come lots and lots of new things that come to the chart any given day, many notes, lab results, imaging results, lots and lots of different information. And that information often comes in in a form of a note that is not 
100% clear what's actually contained in the note. And sometimes providers will look at 50 notes and they have no idea which one of these they have to open to find, let's say, the CT scan that was performed on that patient or uh, the lab results that were done at a different place. So today, providers painstakingly have to sift through all that information and in numerous different places in the chart often to find what it is they're looking for. And that creates a, a pretty significant administrative burden and also a high cognitive load. Um, taking care of patients is already challenging. Many times providers only have 10, 15 minutes with the patient. And during that time, they actually need to examine the patient, speak with the patient, diagnose the patient, so they can't afford to take all that time to, to read through the chart and find out relevant things they should know to make adequate decisions regarding that patient's care. Now, what do you see? I know we've talked a little bit about value-based care. What can this kind of approach do for healthcare in, in bringing healthcare from more of the episodic, specialty-based, siloed approach to patient care to more holistic patient care? So when I think about uh, value-based care, um, and I, I put it in a very simple equation, right? To me, providing value means I deliver the best quality care I could possibly deliver at the lowest possible cost. That's what value is, right? In a, in a very simple um, equation. And of course, as a patient, who doesn't want the best quality at the lowest cost, right? That's what we all want. We all want the best at the best possible price. So that's where I feel very strongly that the concept of value-based care really aligns the incentives for providers, patients, and also payers, right? Um, it, it's all three. Payers have an incentive to want to spend the least amount of money on, on the patient panel they take care of. Patients have... Uh, obviously a strong desire to receive the best quality care and the highest quality care, right? And, and obviously most of us, since we're all patients, would also prefer to pay the least amount of money for that care. So that makes sense. And then for providers, ultimately, providers would love to spend more time with patients and really be rewarded for the quality of their care and not the number of patients they see, right? And this is where I feel um, value-based care hopefully in the future, will reward providers based on care, not based on volume, and will allow providers to see less patients, have less administrative work, and, and have a little bit more quality of life. And, and hopefully that will help um, you know, decrease provider burnout and, and bring the joy back to the profession that has you know, slowly eroded over the last couple of years. Athena Health is a leader in many areas, and one of the areas in particular that we work with Athena on is around prescription accuracy and quality. You've won the White Coat Award from SureScripts three years in a row. Um, can you talk about the priority tools that you're bringing into the system and to the physician today and why they're priorities? Medication management um, is one of the biggest areas of opportunity still today. It's, we've made uh, dramatic advancements with the, again, introduction of electronic health records. It, it 
it's made it much more secure for both patients and providers and also much easier, right? Today, you no longer have to go to the office to pick up your prescription. You can actually have your provider send it directly to the pharmacy. So I think that is a major um, advancement, especially on the patient side, right? It's, it's saved countless hours for patients, especially patients in need of monthly prescriptions, to not have to go back to the office every single month to pick up your prescription. It is, I think, a pretty dramatic improvement um, on the patient side. You know, I've spent my career in healthcare technology and, of course, as a patient. And I find talking with you inspiring, really, hearing your perspective from being a physician, using the technology, and now as an informaticist working on the technology. What is it that inspires you? What inspires me, um, my, my passion is making technology work for providers, staff, and patients. That's what inspires me every day. And that's why I work for Athena Holtz. And um, it's what I, what I dedicate myself to. As a national leader in healthcare and in healthcare technology and as a clinician, what's keeping you up at night right now? Wondering how we can reverse the great resignation in healthcare. That to me as a, as a clinician who, who really loves patient care, taking care of patients, it, it is extremely disheartening for me to see how many physicians and nurses and medical assistants and other clinical staff are, are leaving healthcare in, in drops, right? Because they're burnt out, they're overwhelmed. Uh, it, it's always been challenging, but certainly um, now, Going into the third year of a pandemic on top of everything else has not helped. So the question that keeps me up at, at night is what can we do to bring the joy back to healthcare, right? To really allow providers, clinicians, nurses to, to focus back on patient care away from administrative tasks and technology. And, and that's you know what, what we are trying to solve over at Athena Health is to really help take off some of that burden of clinicians' plates and, and help them refocus on actual patient care. So where do you see the biggest opportunities for innovation in healthcare now? Yeah, so um, as we had discussed earlier, the, the biggest need is for technology to help providers uh, curate information and make sense of the information. So I see dramatic opportunity for machine learning, artificial intelligence, um, ambient voice solutions, natural language processing for the future. All these technology solutions will help providers practice more medicine in the way they were used to and, and have the technology take on um, a lot of the administrative burden. So take um, MBN voice technology, for example. We're all used to this over from the consumer side, where most of us have little gadgets in our household that we can order to play some music, check the weather, whatever, pay, pull out the latest stock <laughs> prices, whatever it may be. So Picture a future where providers will have similar technology where they can simply talk to their computer and ask it to pull out their last note, find them the last MRI result, place an order for a CBC um, or a, another diagnostic test without having to actually manually perform those actions themselves. Um, that's how I visualize the future where we as providers are quote unquote, free again to focus on the patient and the actual patient care. And, you know, as we speak, the computer does all the documentation in the back background, right? It will actually type our note, 
as we dictate it or as we speak to the patient um, and we say, you know, I need a um, CT scan, the computer will queue up the order. That to me would be an ideal future world where we validate technology through the background and we move it from the physician-patient relationship, right? Because today, I think many of us, um, especially on the patient side, still feel that that technology is an obstacle to the physician-patient relationship, right? How, how many times has it happened that you've come into an exam room and the physician actually had his or her back to you, sitting in a corner, staring at the screen, typing the note, because many exam rooms were retrofitted for electronic health record technology and the computers are so awkwardly placed that physicians don't have a choice but to have their back to the provider, to their patient. It's one of my pet peeves. I'm like, how can anybody expect a functioning relationship by setting the exam room up in a way that precludes the physician from actually facing the patient in the exam room? It's, it, it boggles my mind. But the, right today, uh, this is why many providers today still perceive electronic health record technology is an obstacle, right? Because they're forced to turn their back to the patient. Like that's terrible. So what can we do in the future to really remove technology from the physician-patient relationship and turn it from an obstacle that everybody hates into an asset, right? That everybody loves because it helps to improve patient care and, and siphons away many of those mundane administrative tasks from providers. Oh, that would be amazing. <laughs> the future is certainly bright in that area. So we look forward to many of those innovations. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure um, speaking with you. Thank you, Dr. Jessel. I've enjoyed talking with you today. Your journey from EHR skeptic to EHR cheerleader has been an interesting one. And I'm energized by your vision for bringing joy back into clinical practice by leveraging new technologies, such as machine learning and artificial intelligence, to allow for greater curation of information and automation of manual tasks that will reduce administrative burden and burnout. As you've said, no clinician went into medicine to spend their pajama time finishing notes and required documentation after the workday should long be over. You've clearly got both the clinical and informatics background and the joy for the work you're doing, and I can't wait to see where you innovate next. For those of you listening in, we hope you'll join us again. Our next episode will feature a nationally known advocate for community pharmacy. And our final episode will focus on protecting privacy and security in healthcare information exchange. Thank you for listening in today. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe, and review. There's a better way. Smart talk on healthcare and technology. With your help, we'll continue to bring great conversations to the fore and to the wider listening public. Thank you.